If you would turn to Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, I'm going to read that for you this morning. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good deeds. This is the word of the Lord. We are um, going to start the Gospel of Mark soon, but we have a couple of weeks here that we're going to do some different things, and uh, occasionally I will kind of do a summary of the book of Titus, just to remind you, kind of in a small, it's a small book, a small letter, to remind you of what we, we do here, what we're trying to do here and uh, the way in which we think is the right way to go about what we're doing here. And so that's, uh, that's kind of will be the goal this morning. And, and again, we could, um, we could talk about a number of things in this book, but we will just kind of hit certain aspects of it. So if you would pray with me, and then we will go forward. Father, we have studied these things together. We know that as a church. There are some who are new here today and that may not fully understand... Um, what the church does and how you established it to be. And so we ask for um, clarity on that um, together, that we would be able to apply it well and uh, run the race as a, as a local body uh, that would be pleasing to you and honoring to you. And so we ask uh, for the wisdom uh, and clarity that we need this morning and the desire from your spirit to do as we are called to do. In Christ's name. Amen. So you know Timothy and Titus uh, were both uh, people that the Apostle Paul appointed kind of as his right-hand people, and they would go as an extension of his ministry and uh, work with churches. And so that's, uh, these epistles are often called, First, Second Timothy and Titus, uh, pastoral epistles, because they're written to individuals. And so that's, uh, that's important to see. In the study of Titus, uh, what we find out is uh, sound doctrine and good works or good deeds, some translation, uh, those things are essential for God's people. And so doctrine matters to God, what we believe, what we teach, uh, and um, what we keep from being taught, I guess you could say. And along with uh, how we live, all matters to God. So there's... Uh, you just kind of have to put that in your head and say, sound doctrine, good works, or good deeds are essential uh, for a, a healthy body to have a healthy witness in the world. And so we uh, believe that. We, we really do believe that. Like, uh, I, I, I remember being messed with by a bunch of, early on I worked in youth ministry, and they, they, some of the youth minister people would be like, you're the Bible man, you're the Bible man. It's like, yes, I'm the Bible man. And it might be funny, they're joking, all that kind of stuff, but it was like, uh, we really believe that here. Solid biblical teaching. Solid, biblically oriented, grounded in the truth, living. Will impact the world. It will impact generations. 
It will impact the nations. We believe that even if it doesn't look like it's happening. Because God said it. And he never lies. And he's told us what to do. So we as a church will do that. Even if people come up and say, but what about, but we used to, and go through a long list of things. And even if somebody comes up and says, well, this is the most important thing. We would say, if it is not prayerfully sharing the word and the power of the spirit, it is not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we ground you in the faith and that you live in light of it and that you set an example out in the world that's lost and dying and desperately in need of the truth. That's what we do. That's what we will do and do and continue to do until the Lord returns or we're all gone. And he decided to close this place. So, I just say that because I want you to understand that's how we move forward. Now, in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you see the Apostle uh, Paul's kind of model for ministry. How does he see his work? The Apostle, he does this for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That's what he does. He goes and preaches for the sake of the faith of God's elect. We all know what it means to be chosen. That's the idea there. That's what he's saying. For God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. How will they know without a preacher? Which results in godliness. So he goes and proclaims the message so that they would believe. And he keeps expounding that message so that they would live in a way that would be pleasing to God in the hope of eternal life, pointing them to the future. And so what you say here is, he goes and proclaims the gospel knowing God's going to save people. He preaches that same message of the gospel knowing that he is going to sustain those people. And he preaches that message of the gospel knowing that one day he will stand with them before the Lord in the presence of his glory. And he wants to do that with them. He wants them to finish and come out on the other side. That's the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And now you would say that is the ministry of the local church. We do that. That's what we do. We do not know who all God is going to save in this world. We preach the gospel to everyone. And those who believe, and we preach the gospel to them so that they will continue to grow in godliness. And we preach that gospel so that they will look forward to Christ's return and stand before Him in the presence of His glory. That, that ministry of the Apostle Paul is that ministry that we continue. With the Apostle's message in the New Testament, and the commission of the church to do that very work. Now, we're going to move on. And I just notice in verse 4, he is writing to Titus. In Titus verse uh, 1, verse 5, this is what I really like about this book, is because it's very clear to understand its purpose. Some books you read, you're like, man, I don't know how to summarize that. You can summarize this. Titus 1, 5, this is why I left you in Crete. 
so that you might put what, what remained into order and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So here's the thing. He is setting in order as he gets the right leadership to keep it in order. It almost to me would be like um, I had a meeting with a guy the other day and we were talking about getting things in order. And I said, you got to get those in order while at the same time ensure that you have the right people in place to keep it that way. And they need a model for knowing how to do that. So you're going to both model for them how to do that and not just throw them out there and be like, well, let's see how they end up. He is going to model for them, as a young man, by the way, how they are to set the church up properly and guide it. And he's not going to, he's going to give them an example and he's going to set before them the pattern and that's what's going to take place. So setting something, what remains in order is getting the church orderly, I guess you could say, and then at the same time, appointing elders as Paul has directed them so i think that's just we just need to see that and understand that now he says in verse six the type of person that you're going to be appointing which i've directed you to do is is anyone who is above reproach the husband of one wife have children who believe are not open to the charge of debauchery or or insubordination for an overseer as god's steward must be above reproach he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, and we'll stop there. So here's the, from a character standpoint, uh, you could say we see his relationship to his family. Uh, the, the more literal translation might be a one-woman man. Uh, he, he loves his wife. He is faithful to his wife. He's watching over his children, ensuring they're under control. And under, uh, like, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting with the believing thing because you do have these younger men like Titus who we don't even know if he was married. But again, raising up children in the faith. Uh, or some, people, some translations say that are faithful. So he's like a one-woman man who is faithful to guide and direct his children. His children are obedient. Uh, I, don't, I don't, I mean, some people would say, well, they're in the faith in the sense that they believe the gospel. Others see this as faithful, where you're saying like they are um, an obedient children. Uh, you know, so I think I think the idea is if you cannot, again, if you won't love your wife well and discipline your children and train them up in the ways of the gospel, uh, how could you do that in the church? Kind of is the idea. But again, I don't think that means that somebody could have. Ne- I mean, some people will never be married, and yet they're elders. Some people. Uh, their wife will pass away and they'll never be elders. Some people can't have children. They've never had children, so can they be elders? I mean, you know, I, I think this is, what, this is what people get wrong, is I think it's about the quality of their life. Just leave, and, and don't go all crazy about because it's like, what are the qualities that you're trying to set before the church as a faithful? And then you're going to have different, you know, spectrums there of things that, experiences I guess you could say or ways in which things are now here's the other thing he's going to move into like negative character qualities is what I would call them that should not be present uh, as God's steward they must be above reproach it has the idea of having a good name both uh, in the church and outside he must not be arrogant uh, some of I mean there, there are people that you know that are uh, 
uh, they may have like this kind of like really clean sheet where you can check these things off, but they're really arrogant. They think they know everything. They might think they know everything about doctrine. They think they know everything about cooking. <laughs> they think they know everything about their work. They think they know everything about their extracurricular activities. They are like the most arrogant people you ever meet, and you think, nah, I don't know, that just doesn't fit for someone. If someone thinks that they know everything, they will not be a good shepherd. That just doesn't work that way. Uh, they won't shepherd their wives well. They won't shepherd their children well. They will not shepherd a church well. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, a quick-tempered person, usually that comes along with it. Somebody that's quick-tempered is someone generally that thinks they know everything, so they fly off the handle because everybody else doesn't think they know everything. Kind of, you know, might be the example. Or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So the idea is they're not out of control. It's like it doesn't say they will not drink wine. It says they're not going to be a drunkard. That's, that's the thing. They're not violent. It doesn't say that they'll never be upset. They're just not flying off the handle. It doesn't say they won't make money or even be wealthy. But they're not going to go after gain and like ruin other people. It's not going to dominate their lives kind of idea. So negative character qualities and the positive things is they're hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So you could just see like hospital has, hospitable has the idea of being generous. Some people might say, well, I give my money, but they're, they're generous with their time. They're welcoming of other people into their life. Some people keep such a tight schedule on their, their time for their own things, what I need to do for me, for the things that I love, that they can't, you can't bless anybody else. You can't serve anybody else. You can't welcome anybody else into your life. A lover of good, just things that are upright, able to kind of like a horse where you bridle a horse, they've got to be able to bridle themselves and pull back on the reins. They're self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So you just kind of, they're living a holy life. They're living a way, in a way that's right, and they're disciplined. These are the kind of people that part of setting in order what remains is to have people that the church can say, hey, uh, we could follow their example. It's not perfect people. These are not perfect people. These are people that have generally like walked in the way. You could say they're not perfect. It's not that there's not going to be character flaws or things that they struggle with or sin. It's just saying you need um, people that their lives are characterized by walking, uh, taking uh, step after step uh, towards obedience to, towards God. It's like uh, over long periods of time, perhaps. Again, like these, some of these are younger men. I mean, the disciples were younger men. We know that. And so there, there's, there's, you know, and there's things in here where he talks about that with Titus because he says some people say, well, you're not old enough. And Titus, uh, the, the apostle tells him, like, hey, you know, just live a godly life and don't worry about what they say. But you keep going. So there's the negative character qualities and the positive, and then we kind of go from there and you say this is who they are. So part of setting what order what remains is getting solid, sound leaders in in the church. And um, the second part about these leaders is not just who they are, but uh, what they are to do. So look at this. So you might be able to, uh, you might be really solid in the areas of character, but you do not possess the ability to really like uh, understand doctrine well. Or maybe you think a real arrogant person would be like, I understand it really well. I read it one time. Be like, okay, you haven't spent your, the time. You haven't put in the time to really think through doctrinally like things. And not only that, not just the time to understand the doctrine, but to be able to teach it to somebody, that takes a lot of time. 
and uh, and to be able to apply it because so many situations are not like very black and white, which requires wisdom. So you're kind of able to weigh all that stuff. So he must hold uh, firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict. So what's what's the deal here? He's got to he's got to have a firm grasp. There is that character of like, I will not let this go. Again, this is not second and third layer things. I mean, there's going to be things that people disagree on. He's not going to be over there like fighting people over things that are definitely kind of under, you know, he's not a foolish man. But there are things that like you you, you got to hold fast to the uh, what I almost think of as like the 95% of things that we would say these truths uh, are, are truths that need to be taught. So he's able to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict. So he's able to train the church and confront those who are not living according to the ways in which God intended. And so he's got to be able to do both. Now, who is he to refute? So just keep going. Said a lot, so I'm going to stop. Remember, talking about the church. We are talking about a church that is uh, committed to sound doctrine and sound biblical living. That's what we're saying. We say we got to set stuff in order that remains. We got to get the right leadership in place. I have a family member that uh, there. He and his partners purchase uh, different uh, companies at times. So they'll go in and they get the right people in place, and they go in. They they start out and they go in and like they bust in there kind of and and start setting things up, and then they start putting people in leadership, the right people in the right places. And I think that's kind of the idea here. Now, what's going on presently in that church? Look at verses 10 through 16. There are some empty talkers and rebellious people there. Those are, there, there, are, there are so-called spiritual leaders, but Paul says they are far from that. They are deceivers, and they are liars, and they are lazy. And they're the type of people... Paul says that are really like unfit for any good work. Their doctrine and their deeds, and I don't have time to go through everything because it's going to take me a little more time than I thought. Their doctrine and their deeds are all messed up. Because you can't have, you have bad doctrine. I mean, you can sometimes have good doctrine and bad deeds, but if you have bad doctrine, you're going to pretty much always have bad deeds. But, but both of those, you see, they go together here. And so that's what he says. You've got to, You've got to go, they profess to know God, but by their works they, do, they deny Him. And they're disobedient, and they're, they're, they are not living a godly life. So rebuke them, and if they will not listen, get them out of the way. That's kind of the idea. Then you can continue forward. So we kind of have that deal of setting in order what remains. We've got to get the right people, and we have to set a pattern for what it's supposed to look like, and then get the wrong people out. And Titus is going to go have to go in there with an iron chin and spiritual warfare, in a sense, go into that church and fight this battle and help get things set up. Now, he continues forward. Now that you have this church, whatever's left of this church after he goes in, you've got to tell them that there's a way that you ought to live. And that is part of doctrine, but it's, uh, you almost, it's almost like it's a practical kind of doctrines, I guess you could call them. But look at what happens in 2.1 uh, through 2.10. Again, we don't have time to do all of this, and I'll try to uh, watch my time here. But it says, But as for you, teach what is, accord with, is, is in accord with sound doctrine. 
Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, just stop there. Did you see those people? If I'm looking at this text, if I was going to go home and read this today, I would mark every reference to sound doctrine and sound deeds. And I would probably mark in the text, I would just number. What does he say about older men? One, two, three, four, five. But you see older men, older women, younger women, younger men. Right? Addressed. But he continues on. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now here's what happens. What do you find out? Titus is a younger man. Setting up elders, cleaning up churches, getting things straight. And he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. That cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put to shame. So, so that an opponent may be put to shame, sorry, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So what is he going to say? He is going to say, you clean up. We've got we to get the right people in leadership and the wrong people out of leadership. You've got to start there. So you're going to kind of get that started. And then you've got to go into a church that has had the wrong leadership and say, straighten up. We're not living like this anymore. And you're going to say to that church, this multi-generational church filled with older people, middle-aged people, young people, you're going to look at that church and say, there's a way that you ought to live. So older men, and it doesn't say older men, you do this so that you teach the younger men. It doesn't say that. I think it's more by example. With the older women, it's very direct. You teach the younger women. So the idea there is we need to be teaching one another. By, by, in word and deed, imagine that, sound doctrine and good works. In word and deed. Because good doctrine results in a, a, a proper living most of the time. There are times where it doesn't. So most of the time you would say that would just kind of naturally flow but what you're wanting is a multi-generational church where somebody... Now, here's the deal. You ever had somebody say, well, I just think the older people ought to be together with the older people, and the younger people ought to be together with the younger people, and the youth ought to be together with the youth, and the children ought to be together with the children. And I say, well, you just don't believe in a biblical framework for the church. It's not to say that there's not means that we can teach the younger children at certain times and be age-appropriate, but at the heart of this thing, it is a family gathering. It is a family gathering. And what happens is, you want. I was listening to um, a couple of guys, I'm not going to mention them, just, but two older men who are really successful that said, you know, you got to have somebody. So I, they said, one of the things we don't really understand is why they called it luck, that we had our, uh, good families. And we had parents that we could look up to. Some of you do not have parents to look up to. So do you know what happens in a church where you don't have parents to... I mean, in a place when you come to a church, you really don't have parents to look up to? 
You have spiritual parents to look up to. That's what you need. You need to be trained by their example to how to live a godly life. Now, if you're a really arrogant person and you're like 40 and you think you know everything, or you're 20 and you think you know everything or whatever, then you're not going to learn anything from anybody. You don't need anybody in your life, supposedly. But that's not how the Apostle Paul sees it. So their life is to be kind of an example for others. So I'm just going to leave it there. You can read that on your own. And just you just want to see at, this, at the heart of this, that is what it's about. We need to set up a pattern for living. Now, generally, the Apostle Paul would start uh, with doctrine, like a very strong biblical doctrine in the sense of like, uh, the, what is the gospel, what did Jesus do, all that kind of stuff. With this much, he starts with their behavior, which is doctrine, but it's, it's the practice almost before the, the positional place that you find yourself in Christ. Does that make sense? It's a little bit backwards. Now, if it doesn't, that's okay. Just throw that aside and just what we are right now. All we're saying is solid churches. You need to get good leadership. You need to get rid of the bad leadership. You need to tell the people the way in which they ought to live. But that's not it. Because some of y'all will be like, amen, let's stop there. But I want to continue because I want you to see something. And I'm going to hold off in two, from 2.11 through 14. And I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, here's the thing. We've talked about what it's like to live in community inside. Now we're talking about what it is like to live on the outside when you leave. That, that you know, some people, um, you know, they, they might say something like, well, this is how you act at church. Hey, y'all be quiet over there. This is church. Y'all don't talk about that. This is church. This is church. This is church. Well, good night. Christianity is for all of life. That's hard to remember, you know? And so he's saying, like, there is a way in which you live in this world. And so what does he say? Now, this is interesting. You want to know that you're living in a proper way. One is, of course, that you would be listening to those in authority over you within the church, church but also to the rulers and authorities. You have all kinds of, this could be a more technical thing where you'd be like, I mean, uh, out in the, you know, like government and stuff like that. It could also, there's other aspects of life where it's like there are all types of authorities that you'll live under. If you're a kid, you have parents, and you have people in church that have authority over you, you have teachers that are authority over you, coaches at different times where you sign up, you kind of place yourself under their authority. One of the things that scares me to death is when I look at a little kid and their parents say, hey, do this, and they look at them like, what? And I'm like, I want to like jump over the table, grab that kid up and pull him close and say, listen, if you're not going to listen to them, if you're rejecting them, you're rejecting God. You are rejecting every authority in your life and you're going to end up in prison. That's kind of what I want to say. And a parent sitting over there going like, huh? And I'm thinking, what do you mean, huh? 
If your kid doesn't listen to me, if your kid doesn't listen to you, if your kid doesn't listen to this person, they have a spiritual problem. And if you don't call them out, you're going to have a massive problem in your life. Don't tell me you can't do it. You're called to do it. You are called to do it. The church has to have solid leaders that will confront people with faithful, sound, biblical teaching. We'll run off anything that's false of that. So faithful teaching in practice and in doctrine. And then they're to establish a church in such a way, say there's order and structure. Older men and younger women, y'all, older men, younger, I mean, older women, y'all ought to be an example too. And so that the younger women and the uh, younger men will grow up and be faithful. And the idea is, if you look in Titus 2, it's like to train your children to do, to live rightly. It's the training ground of the home becomes the place where when you go out into society, you can only be a blessing if you learned within the household that you live in and in the household of faith how to live rightly. Do not tell me you're not going to educate and train people. That's what we do. Whether you're a parent or you're a leader in the church, or whatever, we train people to live lives that would bring glory and honor to God And sitting over there rejecting everybody in authority doesn't do that. And them listening to you talk about how you're rejecting everybody in authority, that doesn't do that either. That is foolishness. That is not wisdom. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, that means you are quick to serve others. Not just serve yourself. Your kids will follow your example of saying, every moment when I'm out of that 40 hours a week that I have, I'm going to spend it on myself. If they see that, they will follow that. To speak evil of no one. We already talked about that. To avoid quarreling. One of the things that I've seen it over and over, like, there is such a difference when other, in, in any kind of leadership that you've ever been in. You know the kind of people that are under your leadership that come up to you in a way with their fists clenched and attack you. They're, they lack humility. They're not seeking the good of everybody. They're not humble. They're not gentle. And they're not showing courtesy. You've seen that. And guess what? The world sees it too. If you go out on the ball field with your fist clenched all the time, screaming at everybody, they see that. If you go to work and you're always, always up in arms, they see that. If your children see you always flying off the handle, I mean, what is that? As you walk through life, you should be an example in that, to the outside world of what we believe here. Now, you want to ground it. Because some of you might say Christianity is just about behavior modification. That's just not what it is. You, just you don't really know your Bible very well. If you say that, it's just important to understand that. So part of setting in order what remains is to remember 
We've got to appoint these elders, but don't just throw them in there. We've got to run out these bad people, leadership people. And then we've got to go in and teach the church how they ought to live. And then we have to say, not only within the community as you're helping build each other up, but outside in the world, then your question is, is there any power to do that? I mean, I was always taught that Jesus saves us from our sins, but I mean, in the present, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what he does. This is what he does. You ready? 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. I think the grace of God, metaphorically, it's speaking of Jesus, again, has appeared. The gospel message has appeared. The coming of Christ and all that he accomplished. Bringing salvation for all people. If you read the Apostle Paul and you think about what that means, I think he's saying, especially if you just read it, you realize there's a big Jew and Gentile divide all the time. I think he's saying, like, look, this is for the whole world, which is something that they, did, or they, they struggled with in the early church. So bringing salvation to, to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So you see that the negative thing, you're putting off these, these wrong behaviors and you're putting on godly behavior. So it brought salvation, which is kind of like justification. It brings sanctification, which is putting off and then putting on. And then it, it, it which looks a lot like Titus 1, 1 and 2, but also, or 1, 1 through 4, but also in verse 13 and 14, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now imagine that. The church is different than anything else. You could go to school and say, hey, let's go to school and have a character thing for each month or whatever, and we're going to work on our character. And I think you can develop better character by different practices and all that stuff. But what this scripture says is, Jesus came to redeem you from your wickedness and to give you the ability to live a godly life. He came to rescue you from yourself. Who gets the glory for that? You? Well, I mean, hey, I'm a Christian because I've done so good and I'm so strong, I've got great willpower and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, hey, when I stand before God one day, I'm going to stand up there and say, God, look at all the things that I did for you. I'm so committed to you. You self-righteous person. You're going to stand there and before the holy God and you are going to be damned if you're hoping in yourself. Jesus came. To rescue you. He came to rescue us. We could not get ourselves right for God. Jesus came to save us from our wicked hearts and lives. Move over to Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, or verse 8. I guess we'll go there. For we ourselves were once foolish. And here's another doctrinal passage. Disobedient. That's how you come. It's just important to know that. You come that way. You come to this world that way. You come into this world with a nature that is corrupted. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy. The way we know that your nature is messed up is because your heart is demonstrated in your practice throughout life. Hated by others and hating one another. See, that was your condition. The same thing you see in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, if you were to to go back and look at that. Um, There's a lot of passages that show us how we come to this world and how that results in a disobedient and reckless life. A heart not beating for God, a lack of uh, humility before God, a, a, a rejection of our parents' authority, a, a hatred towards our brothers and sisters. Uh, uh, just you, The list goes on. But look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now, who did he call God our Savior in Titus 2? Jesus. When he appeared, he saved us. You see that? We didn't do it. We did not do it. Salvation is not originated in us. It is not sustained by us. He saved us. So he says, he saved us. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now look at this. He saves us by regeneration. He takes someone who is dead in their sins and brings life to them. He causes them, First Peter says, to be born again. He brings dead people to life deaf people to be able to hear, blind people to be able to see. God does it. God saves people. Salvation is of God. It's not of us. God does it. He gets the glory for it. It's not done by us, but by Him. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit. If it continues in your life, if, if, if you've been brought to life, you will continue. Paul says, what he began, began in you, he will complete. And he does that by the Spirit. The washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that you who have believed in God may be careful to devote yourselves to good works. And these things are excellent and profitable for all people. So, what is this church about? What is this church about? It is about sound doctrine and good deeds. How do we have that set up? We have leaders who we hope and we pray, y'all need to pray for us, that will that, that have seek to understand the truth, defend the truth, communicate the truth, and set an example of what it means to live a Christian life. We have older and, and, and middle-aged and younger people in here, specifically adults, that we're saying, but children are watching us too, that we're saying, guys, like, can you... Can you see what it's like? Let's, let's, let's run this race together. Let's run a race of living a godly life. We, we seek to do so so that when we go out into the world, that we are an example of what it means to believe in the Lord. 
All of this is grounded in the fact that Jesus came to rescue us, to bring spiritually dead people to life, to let us experience transforming grace that moves us to live in a way that would please God. So, I hope we'll do that in the coming year. In the coming years, that's what we're committed to do. Hope you will run together with us. It's a good thing. So some churches would say something like this. Um, They would get it backwards. They would say, we exist to touch the world. And I would say, you've got to start with expounding on the truths of God to his people. And as his people grow up, their lives and their words will touch the world. It is an inside-out thing that we're doing. We'll keep doing it. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We need your saving grace not only to come to faith. We need your saving grace to sustain us in the faith. We need your saving grace to take us into glory to be with you. We need it as we interact with one another. We need it as we interact with the lost world. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart to live in a way that would be pleasing and honoring to you. In Christ's name, amen. If you would.